Captain Chessbeard here, and I wanted to take a wee moment of his time to thank ye for listening to this here Tuesday Night Podcast. It's listeners like ye that make this podcast what it is, alive, living, and setting sail on the seven seas. So allow me to ask ye for another wee favor. If you find yourself in an opportune moment, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's listeners like ye that helps listeners like ye find the Tuesday Night Podcast. Also, don't forget to check us out on the Twitter at PlayTKG. Thank ye again, and allow me to digress. And let us set sail and enjoy this here episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Yeah! Hey, hey, I'm Alan Girding, and this is the Tuesday Night Podcast. We're on episode 68. Ooh. Yeah, the episode before, episode 69. <laughs> hmm. This is a podcast all about board games, dice games that you can play on or under your table, as SBJ would say. SBJ isn't with us today, but with us is Sean McCoy. Hello. Today is the official launch day of... Of our Necroboomicon Kickstarter! If it's not, something terrible has happened. Yeah, hopefully it's up. Because we're not actually recording this on the same day. Speaking of which, if you're not happy with the editing, keep in mind you're supposed to blame me and Captain Chessbeard because it's not SBJ editing. Honestly, I think he's a lot better than me. I try to do the cheats where I put in music to cover up all of my bad balancing and leveling and... It's all just cover up. But hey, I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about crappy rules. But before we do that, let's talk about our Necroboomicon Kickstarter a little bit. What do you say, Sean? Yeah, that sounds great. I'm really excited about the Kickstarter, not just because it's our Kickstarter, but as a fan of Two Rooms and a Boom, I'm excited because I'm also a big fan of Cthulhu. And Cthulhu, HP Lovecraft, that high tension, stress. I love the idea that in almost every Lovecraft game that I play, you can die or you can go crazy, which is just another form of death. That's why I love Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, you don't just have to worry about your health. Your sanity is just as important. How about you, Sean? What's your history with Lovecraft? I think, so one of my oldest friends, this kid named Nick Grant, um, was really into Lovecraft when we were in high school. And it didn't make any sense to me. And he just loved all the weird words and how anti, you know, the normal hero narrative his stories were. And it took me a long time to get into it. You know how you have like a close friend and they're really into something. And so it's not like you don't get into it. It's just like, that's their thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, he's into right. that. I'm into hip hop, you know, and we're not. 
<laughs> we're just like into different stuff. And then it was like years and years later when I started getting into more games like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics and started reading some of the early like Conan stuff that I, I found Lovecraftian themes outside of strictly HP Lovecraft narratives, like in Conan. And that's when I started to get into it, the immensity of it. True Detective probably helped a lot, honestly, as well. Ah, uh, the man in yellow. The man yeah. in, the king in yellow, yeah. The and king in yellow, yeah. Just sort of opened up this whole world of very weird, unique sort of things. And I saw that this sort of mythos wasn't just contained to Lovecraft himself, but was this very creative, huge sort of thing. And I started seeing it everywhere I looked, like in the movie The Thing. It just became very obvious how huge the influence had grown. And I think that's sort of when I started connecting with it. Yeah, it's weird how much Lovecraft is everywhere, because a lot of people say Cloverfield is a Lovecraft movie, and Thing is totally uh, the Mountain of Madness. This is crazy. Bye Bye Man seems like such a horrible, trite movie that's coming out. It just seems that it regurgitated horror stuff. He's real. If you say his name, or even think it. He'll come for you. There's something happening. He's found us. Who? The bye-bye man. But then I realized, wait a second, bye-bye man, that is one of Nyarlathotep's nicknames. He has a whole bunch of them because he's the elder god that has its shapeshifts and has many faces, the bloated lady, etc. So I was really excited. I kind of wanted to see the movie more knowing that it's Cthulhu-based, or at least it's supposed to be. Could It's still probably just a shit movie with shit mirror scares. Oh my goodness, I'm closing a mirror and now there's someone behind me? Huh. Oh wait, no, they're not there. That's why I never close mirrors. Yeah, just leave them open. open. Don't look at them. So how do you think we've incorporated H.P. Lovecraft into Two Rooms and a Boom with Necroboomicon, Sean? You know, we've talked about this before, but I think the real thing that we've done here is ratcheted up the tension, particularly with sharing, card sharing, color sharing, anything like that. One of the great things about Two Rooms and a Boom that I think still stands up today is that it is one of the only social deduction games where both sides can build a strategy and operate on that strategy. You know, in other games, there's the whole perfect information versus majority, you know, limited group with a perfect amount of information information versus big group with no information. But Terms of Moon really excels in that no matter who you are on the red or blue team, you can start making a strategy, you can start verifying people, and you can action that strategy. And Necroboomicon adds that paranoia back in, which really helps out smaller groups. Because in smaller groups, it's very, very easy, if you're a veteran of Terms and a Boom, to sort of enact your strategy and sort of get it moving. One of the basic principles of Two Rooms and a Boom, which is sharing, it puts that into question, which I think is really interesting and a, and a different way to take the game. Here's what I love, and I know this is us just jerking each other off because it's our game and whatnot, but in all sincerity, this is one thing that I really like about the Necroboomicon expansion, even though we're not talking about 30 character cards, we're not talking about 50 cards. These are very select few character cards that really up the tension, and a lot of them have instant wins, which really adds that tension we're talking about, evokes that HP Lovecraft feeling that you just mentioned. But here's the other side of it. 
which I never thought I'd really experience. When you are one of those elder gods in Necrobumicon, you get to feel the other end of that. Oh wait, it's because of me that everyone should be so tense and scared. All I have to do is get anyone to color share with me and boom, I win. But then that doesn't last as soon as you add in the Necrobumicon because you have to make sure that you also are in possession of the Necrobumicon before you can win. So if you're feeling really comfortable as an elder god, you have to realize those pesky paranormalists trying to stop me from rising and also I need to be able to control the Necro... It really evokes that whole tension where I just, in the end, want to sit there and cry and wee myself and I really have to trust someone even for a color share. That's that's the thing that I really like. It's a quieter game. Like just imagine six players, three people in each room and spending the entire three minute round just staring at each other saying, are you really red? I'm not sure if I trust anything you're saying. I want to talk about our Kickstarter project since it's supposed to be live right now and the Kickstarter video because we're really nervous in releasing this video. This was mostly, I think, your work here and I'm really gung-ho about it. Talk about it, if you will, bruh. Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting one. You know, our Kickstarter videos have started to develop their own internal continuity and mythology. Um, like the World Championship Russia Roulette video is pretty referential to the way we act in our other videos. This one's pretty referential to the Two Rooms of the Boom original Kickstarter video. So if you haven't seen that before, I would recommend taking a look at that sometime. It's not like you won't understand what's going on if you haven't seen it, but it might be a little weird for sure. But that's always been fun, is just to experiment. It sort of plays to, I don't want to say our roots, but at the end of the day, it's just Alan and me, and we're just two guys, and we're trying to make good board games, and... Have fun while we're doing and it. And have fun while we're doing it. I think our Kickstarter videos pay a lot of homage to that. It definitely feels a lot more like each video is Bill and Ted getting involved in some other crazy scenario, right? Right. And this sort of plays into that a lot. Yeah, I remember when we were filming World Championship Russian Roulette, I was doing my slight Bill S. Esquire character, and then the people from Board with Life were like, no, more, more. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire. And I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Yeah! Wild Stallion! So this is now the character I am, and our Kickstarter videos is total... Bill and Ted. And then it takes a really creepy turn. I'm really excited for people to see the video and hopefully if they're fans with H.P. Lovecraft, they'll enjoy it as a piece of comedy slash art. Is that too hoity-toity to say? Is that weird? I have no idea. I'm just hoping people don't turn it off. <laughs> like that's really, right. that's really my aim. We're just having a lot of fun with it. And I, I'm just really excited to shoot more Kickstarter videos. You know, Necroboomicon was interesting as a project because we really focused on getting the project done or as close to done as, as we could before the Kickstarter launched. We spent a lot of time going back and forth about plastic cards because we'd like to start pumping out Kickstarters for terms and boom expansions annually, I think is what we're talking about. We want an expansion at every Origins, right? We definitely want to go every year, and then we want to get on a regular schedule of like win every year so you can expect it. And that required a lot of putting in a lot more work ahead of time this time to make sure it was done and it was ready to go, and we would be able to ship out almost immediately afterwards so that we could sort of build and grow what this game can become. Because I've always started telling people now that 
Terms in a Boom isn't so much a game as it is a toolkit to create your own perfect social deduction game. And every expansion is supposed to add tools into that toolbox. Not every card is for everybody, but every card is for somebody. And so if you want a more tension-filled game, or you have a smaller group, or you want a quieter game, this expansion pack is really going to be for you. And we have other packs that are coming up that are going to be for people who want to play with a moderator, or people who like changing roles yeah. a lot, or people who want a more gonzo experience, or people who want maybe like a more thematically kid-friendly experience. We want to add tools in that box so that you can craft the perfect game. Probably more than anyone else, everything you just said excited me because I know exactly which cards you're talking about when you mention a moderator game making it more kid-friendly. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that expansion. Oh, yeah, that expansion. Can't wait. But I think we should reward our listeners with a little preview of the Kickstarter video if they haven't hopefully already checked it out. What do you say? Yeah, roll. uh, why don't we roll clip here? And I'm Sean McCoy. And we're Tuesday Night Games. I bring the gamis. I bring the I bring the scissors. And this is our first expansion pack for two rooms and a boom. So hopefully that gets people excited. One thing I forgot, I'm supposed to do my usual interesting little fact about me number 17 i just got the duchess game table in the mail from kickstarter i saw that live (laughs) yeah i did my first kickstarter live video assembled it now to be fair boardgametable.com and this kickstarter said hey everybody's tables got shipped pretty messed up i'm pretty confident they're going to do what it takes to send replacements for what got broken oh they admitted that it was messed up Like, that a bunch of them... Yeah, before I even opened up the box, I knew, oh, I hear that the playmats shrunk, and I hear that there's a lot of scratches on the underside of the armrest of the table. What I wasn't expecting was that there's table toppers, because think of a game table as a pool table without the pockets, then there's this hard table that goes on top of it, the table topper, totally destroyed, man. But I can tell, if it wasn't destroyed, beautiful. So unfortunately, this experience that would have been a 10 out of 10 was more of a 6 out of a 10, but I'm really excited for them to fix that. But speaking of mistakes, let's talk about mistakes in writing rules. It's topic time, Sean. Topic time. Excuse me, Sam, do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. This last Tuesday, every Tuesday, I play games with my friends. That's why I always have a lot of games for table talk. But I played quite a few games, and one recurring theme was interesting, besides the fact that almost all the games that I played were from Kickstarter. And that was something was lacking in their rules. So I want to pass some of these rules, and you can tell me if we interpreted them correctly or not. First, I'm going to talk about Zombag. Zombag plays two to six players. It's supposed to play in 30 to 60 minutes. It's from Christopher Miranda, Ryan Morgan, and Grant Giles. So three guys. Wow. And it's totally self-published. But let me explain the game really quick. Basically, you got this bag full of tokens. There's different types of tokens in this bag. There's survivor tokens. There's item tokens like binoculars or food. But there's also zombies you want to get these item tokens so that you get victory points. But in order to get them, you have to first defeat the zombies that you pull out. So, how do you defeat the zombies? 
Well, they have a whole bunch of six-sided dice, and the zombies have two numbers on them. You with me so far? Six-sided dice, zombies have two numbers. One of the numbers is their to hit number, and the other is their health number. So you'll plot a zombie, and it may say 4-4. Four, four. Then I look at the rules. Now before I read this to you, keep in mind, rules are difficult, and I give everyone credit, because we've had this problem with two rooms and a boom. Most common complaint we get from people who just buy two rooms and a boom after they read the rules is they say, I still don't understand how to play. And we respond with, well, how do you not know how to play? And they say, well, I guess I know how to play, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. It's hard to understand, well, you need to get as much information as you can from every player because no one knows everything, but everyone's learning some things as they interact with other players. So combine all that information together to have an informed decision on who your leader is going to be because you want your leader making the appropriate decisions. But everything I just said takes up a whole lot of space in the rule book. Yeah, it's a different philosophy and we go back and forth on it every time. Is the rule book the according to Hoyle, only the rules of the game, nothing else, anything you don't say is permissible, everything you do say is permissible, or is it more of a guideline for how you are supposed to be experienced in the game? You know, the rules of chess would just describe checkmate and how the pieces move, but they wouldn't say like, hey, it's probably a good idea to control the center and the middle to develop your pieces to create a good pawn structure. They probably wouldn't say that in a rule book, right? But in certain games, you're constantly having going back to the rules and saying, should we give players a hint as to, hey, it's generally a good idea to do X at this stage in the game or not. And I think that's sort of an ongoing conversation about what each game requires or doesn't require. Yeah, and that's really weighed against the size of your rule book because what a lot of players probably don't realize is that every page in that rule book means there's more pages, bigger rule book, more printing, more manufacturing, which means what, Sean? More moolah. Right, so you gotta spend more money. This company, this game, Zombag, decided they'd save a bunch of money by having a single printout sheet. And it's a pretty much a standard eight and a half by 11 folded up in the box. And they try to fit all of the rules on two sides of a single piece of paper. But I already told you, let's suppose you pull out a zombie and it has a 4-4 on it. Here's the section on combat. If you gotta fight, make sure your survivors are armed. Each zombie has a hit target you're trying to roll and a health which equals the number of hits you need to kill a zombie. Each weapon has a power number, which is the number of dice you get to roll per attack. Each survivor gets to make one attack and extra hits don't carry over to extra zombies. That's all it says. We look at this and we say, oh, we have a survivor. Oh, here's a baseball bat and it has the number two on it with some dice icons. So that makes me think I get to roll two dice against a zombie. So I'm rolling two dice against this four, four zombie. Now let's suppose I roll a four and a two. What do you think happens to that zombie that's four four, Sean? If you roll four and a two, I would say that you kill it. But it had four health. So if I rolled a four, I would think I hit it because the to hit number is four. So let me just make this really clear in case I confuse any listeners or you, Sean. Here is our main question. It has four health. We have to hit it four times. So if I roll a four, it hits, right? I think so, yeah. But does it just hit it for one health? What if I roll a five? Is that greater than a four? And does that hit? Because nowhere in the rules does it say you have to roll the target number or greater. It just says the target number. We thought, well, that's crazy. Because in order to kill a four-four zombie, we would have to roll four fours in order to hit it. So we assumed oh, what they probably mean is 
you have to roll four or greater and anything greater than four is just extra damage so the way we played is if you roll a six you just did three damage on that zombie you got the four you got the five and you got the six so that's three hits that's the way we played and to be honest when we played it that way it seemed to really work and we actually enjoyed the game would I recommend the game not openly to everybody but I think this game really more depends on the group with whom you're playing oh wait they have a YouTube video on how to play so let's watch the YouTube video we watched the YouTube video and you know what the YouTube video said that you were wrong it said you've got to fight make sure your survivors are armed each zombie has a hit target it's the exact same thing <laughs> It's the exact goddamn thing that the rules say, and that we watched them play, and the way they played didn't answer any of our questions. What a waste of a YouTube video, man. So we didn't find any extra answers there. There are more rules than that. That's just like main one that we ran into. Let me go into another game, if you will. Stop me anytime with any questions, Sean. Sure. This is this this Episode starting to feel like me just complaining about games that I've played, but definitely feeling that way. I <laughs> capture is another game we played. Sean, you would love this game, Capture. I think Ooh. it's a two-player game. They say it's a two or four-player game, which I highly suspect is kind of bullcrap. It's a two-player game because they say you can play with four players, just like you can play four players checkers. I move sure. a guy on our turn, and the next turn you get to move a guy. Just like you can play four-player Mario. <laughs> it's like, well, I'll just take turns playing Mario. Exactly. Capture's a gorgeous game. Imagine this. You open up this big-ass board that extends between the two of us, and in it, it's perfectly symmetrical and has these stone cobble pathways. And then we each get these knight figures. They're thick plastic miniatures. One of the minis on the bottom of them has a crown because that one is your head knight. And Capture is basically the board game version of Capture the Flag. So once I take one of my knights onto your side of the board, if one of your knights on your side of the board hits my knight, it goes to jail, to the dungeon. Wait, is this the game we played at Board Game Geek? I didn't play this with you. Okay. Did you play this? No, no, you and I went to a booth and there was a guy that had Capture the Flag, but it was like literally like you were playing on like two yards. No, okay. no, no, no. No, that's a different Capture the Flag. The Capture the Flag that we played there, and I forget what it was called, was the one where characters are wearing flags on their hips and you're trying to tear the flags away from their hips. Gotcha. This one is the Boy Scout version of Capture the Flag. Back in the days, if you went to a campsite, they played Capture the Flag and they'd have one boundary line. This is our side, this is your side. If you get touched, then you have to go to prison. But then if someone comes around and frees the prisoner, touches the prisoners, then they're free. So cool. It's really cool. And the head knight that has the little crown picture on the bottom base, if that one captures a dude, that dude's not captured, he's dead. He dies and he's removed from the game. Hmm. But here's the amazing thing. You get two dice to move. There's a black die and a white die. When you roll the white die, you get to move characters on your side of the board. And for the black die, you can move your characters that are on your opponent's side of the board. So therefore, strategically, it's beneficial to always have one of your figures 
on the other side of the board so that you're getting a full use of both dice each of your turns. Here's the fascinating thing. If you roll really low on your white die, if you roll a four or five, that's the smallest you can roll because this isn't traditional six-sided dice. They're six-sided, but they're not one through six. There's like a four, a six, an 11, different numbers on the dice. But if you roll low, a four or a five, you also get to launch a catapult where it has one of these spring-loaded catapults and a little plastic boulder. You get to put the boulder in and fling it and any character you hit on your opponent's side of the board that gets knocked over by the catapult boulder, dead out of the game. So it's a little reward for sucking and rolling low. That was super fun as well. But here's the problem I had. Imagine you have about five or six knights out on the board. You can move up to three of the game pieces. So you can move just one or two or three game pieces and you roll the die for movement. Let me read the rules here on how to move. interruption of your regularly scheduled programming for this very important news update. PAX has just announced yet another convention. PAX, originally known as the Penny Arcade Expo, began in 2004. It was held in Seattle, Washington. It eventually grew to be also held in Boston, Massachusetts. It donned the name PAX West. Later, even more PAX conventions grew. Now we have PAX East, PAX West, PAX South. It even stretched its hands into Australia, cleverly entitled PAX Australia. But now, PAX has grown even more and just announced the newest convention, PAX Unplugged. PAX Unplugged is to take place in 2017 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But what is PAX Unplugged? They describe it as, and I quote, an exciting analog focus extension of our already existing portfolio of PAX events. We found that the tabletop parts of PAX have grown and grown to the point where we said, you know what, let's make a show that's just that, end quote. That is right, PAX Unplugged is nothing but a tabletop convention. But here is the most interesting tidbit of this news. It will be held on November 17th to the 19th. But why is this so interesting? Because this is traditionally the same date as BGGCon. Now this is war. Does PAX have enough relationships formed with other publishers that they can easily compete with BGGCon? Is it that attendees are having so much frustration trying to get their badges for BGGCon that they realized, nay, let's have another PAX convention where those people frustrated with BGGCon can attend? Only time will tell. The war is on. Will BGGCon change its date? Will PAX continue this venue? Is this just for this year alone? Or will it happen again in 2018, 2019? Dual conventions at dual times. Who will win? Only time will tell. And oh, yes, in other news, President Donald Trump did some things that upset a lot of people. Thank you for this interruption. We now resume your regularly scheduled broadcasting. It's, it's tough. I mean, you and I talk about this in rulebook writing is it needs to be only interpretable one way. And 
that way needs to be simple and easy to understand. And usually the more language you use to make something easy to understand, the more complicated it gets. So if you were to say like, basically what we mean here is if you have three pieces and they start over here and you could do this and you could do that, the more conversational your tone is, the easier it is to understand, but the harder it is to lock down exactly what the legal rules are, let's say in a tournament scenario. The less words you use, the more specific you are, but the less easy to understand it can be. And you're always like moving back and forth between these two poles, right? That's why like in D&D, you'll have explicit rules that are like bullet pointed, right? And then you'll have like explanation text as to how you should interpret that specific sentence. And it's, it's tough. It really saved our marriage. We couldn't find a single activity we'd like to do together. He's so into his skeet shooting. Pull! And I love my yoga. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons always sounded like so much fun, but with that 20-sided die, I thought, oh, brother. And all those manuals. But that's where the book comes in. Have you ever wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons but were too intimidated to try? You are not alone. D&D is a hugely popular pastime that lets you ride your imagination into a mythical world full of beasts and sorcery. But many people think D&D is too complicated. Not to worry, friends. D&D for Dummies makes it fun and easy, giving you all you need to play, including ready-made characters and maps. D&D for Dummies hooked it up. It gave me the confidence I needed to begin my journey from first-level barbarian to epic-level dungeon master. And it gave us something fun and creative that we can do together. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Here's a healthy compromise. So in a rule book, instead of using more language, you provide an example so that they can read how it's done. Now that example should probably include that niche situation that is most confusing so it clarifies it. But I have some good news, Sean. The capture rule book is gorgeous. This is full color, full print. It has this score. Dude, I just have to show you this game. This is like one of those games that you find in your grandparents' basements. It's almost an heirloom game, I want to say, where it will go on from generation to generations just because it's so gorgeous and it's so simple to play, with the exception of this confusing rule that I'm talking about. Woo! It looks gorgeous. I think I'm going to buy it. Apparently, it was pitched in the 80s. Oh, you're looking at it online right now? Mm-hmm. And that might be why it has that vintage feel, is that it was pitched to a bunch of board game companies then, but never got published. And so it sort of makes sense that it was like designed with that 80s feel in mind. Oh, yeah. And the coolest thing about it, the catapult, you just have to stay on your side of the board. The boundaries are so easy to understand. And then you take the catapult, and obviously what you do is the straight line's probably the easiest. The hardest is the depth. How far back do I pull the catapult? So what you want to do is you move the catapult so that you try to get two or three of their game pieces in a straight line. And then you aim short so that at the very least, if it doesn't hit the one in the back, maybe it'll hit the one in the front. I'm rambling. Screw it. next episode is episode 69 and that's gonna be our pre-valentine's episode so here'd be the cool thing what we want to know are the most romantic games you can play don't know what that means that's up to you as a listener to interpret Probably a two-player game. Doesn't have to be a two-player game, but that's one way to interpret it. What are your favorite two-player games? How would you interpret that question? 
could also be like, send us some good memories you have of playing games with your partner. Like, I've got great memories of playing chess with Lindsay. I wouldn't call it a romantic game, but some good memories there. Oh, yeah. Same thing with myself and my wife. Ratatat Cat, which is also Kaboo! Amazing game times with my now wife back when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. And obviously, That's a like, good idea. You proposed with Ascension, which I would not call a romantic game in the slightest, but obviously it was very romantic for you guys. Yeah. So yeah, send us in those, and we'll give you a shout-out. You can use it as a Valentine treat, perhaps, for your significant other. Where do they write in if they want to write us, Sean? You want to write to us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Spelled with a K! Yeah, it's spelled with a K. And speaking of which, let's bring this episode to a close. Keep it nice and tight. So, Sean, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. And I'm Alan Girding. You can find me on Twitter or the Facebook. I'm at A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished. <laughs>